So for the first episode of this podcast, I think before we dive deeply into some of these subjects, the best place to start would be just to introduce myself, who I am, what I do and why I do it. Because to make it on a more personal note, it would seem a bit daft to expect you to listen to me without knowing me on a more personal level and on a more real level because that's the only way really you will find any interest in what I say otherwise you're just listening to a stranger and why would you take any notice of what a stranger says that's probably well at least that's the way I think of it anyway so for me it started when I was about 12 or so I was in my second year in secondary school and I'm sure if um, anybody from um, from that school was listening to this I know some of them are joined up to the uh, Facebook group the Seeking Eye Facebook group I'm sure you'll remember this um Never knew I was squeamish uh, until I went into a science lesson one day in which we were due to dissect a was it a toad? I think it's usually a toad, isn't it? Or something? Oh no, it was a heart of some kind of some kind of animal. I think it was a cow heart or something. Um, but they couldn't actually get the hearts. The uh, supplier hadn't come through. Something happened. The van broke down or some nonsense like that. So we ended up discussing the circulatory system and how everything like that works. And so I never knew I was squeamish until he started, he being a teacher, started mentioning, even now I hate to talk about it, what happens when one cuts an artery. And um, if you've ever fainted before, you know the feeling, it's not nice. You start off going very, just very dizzy, and it's a very difficult thing to explain but it's very, very dizzy, you start to get really hot, your head starts pounding, your ears start ringing, and you get like this green fuzz that starts to come into your eyes through your vision, of, from through your sight, from the outside of your vision. You feel the vision starts working its way in, and with it comes this horrible feeling of pressure. And uh, I put my hands over my face, waiting for it to pass. I, the last time I felt like that was when my mum was having a blood test and I was there with her, um... But I thought it would just pass because it did before the nurse got me on a bed with my feet up in the air and I was fine after that. But this time I just put my hands in my head and then I woke up on the floor facing upwards looking at people staring at me. Apparently the time I was out, I was out for about two minutes or so um, and apparently I was fitting slightly on the floor. I guess it was just my brain was resetting and me, me muscles were twitching. Um, and that was a hell of an experience I was always very shy very nervous as a kid and I was always very health conscious um but I was never one of the normal kids you know I was very sensitive I was the target for bullies and I was the one that was always picked on for whatever reason the easy target I suppose I'd cry a lot and I'd I, I, I don't know I'd just have very weird things I'd be nervous about or frightened of. I never used to like talking to people I'd always talk to the teachers never kids of my own age I don't know why I just had a lot more rapport with the adults and they were uh, not many people know but some of the you know some of the teachers at the school were telling me personal problems and I was talking back to them just I guess I was just I was good at listening and you know even teacher a student if you need someone to vent to I was always that one that would just sort of listen without judgment it's amazing some of the things you hear from someone that's supposed to be, you know, guiding you through this stage of your life and yet they're telling you all about what's going on at home and shit. It's interesting. Um, but I was always there to listen. And, you know, you kind of 
get a deeper sense of the humanity of these people when you start to listen. But anyway, digressing slightly. Because I was this kind of sensitive-natured, this experience of passing out, initially it wasn't much more than just an outlier in the standard experience of life, but over time it began to cause a lot of distress. It seemed that all part of my chemistry had changed somewhat, and suddenly I was having very similar experiences not quite as <coughs> not quite as extreme but sudden bouts of dizziness lightheadedness feeling sick and i was always a lot more worried about these feelings after that um to the extent where i would go pale for no reason and i would as i say i'd start to feel spinny and horrible no reason just i would and then i'd start worrying about it and that would start making it even worse of course back then you don't realize exactly how this stuff works but that was the start of when I developed what was classed as severe generalized anxiety disorder um, which now seems obvious but at that time when it's a new thing it's not very obvious at all and it's it's frightening um, so since then things started going downhill pretty quick I was no longer able to spend time in normal lessons because whenever I would I would start having an anxiety attack and if you've never had an anxiety attack boy wish you know my blessing that you never have to it's not nice and it's terrifying I mean when when you think of anxiety most of the time you think of fear it's a lot lot more than that if you have it you know what I mean if you haven't got it you can only guess what it's like it's proper anxiety, natural anxiety is the fight or flight response essentially, which if you don't know what that is, basically it's just a mechanism that's built into your biology which feeds you with all sorts of chemicals in dangerous situations to get you out of that situation or to fight for your life. In anxiety disorders, it's kind of stuck on and anything and everything is considered a threat. Uh, even nothing is considered a threat and it can just sort of turn itself on for no apparent reason. And you start to feel incredibly ill. You can feel like you're dying, which I did daily for a while. And if you, you feel like you're dying to such an extent that your whole body loses all of its energy, you start to feel incredibly ill. And of course, with the nature of anxiety, when that starts to happen, you start to fret to such an extent that all the symptoms are doubled. And as a result, the worry is also doubled, which then continues and continues indefinitely until ultimately you have... A complete anxiety or panic attack which happened to me very very frequently I remember once in a history lesson um, I was it started off pretty normal I wasn't feeling too great as was normal at that time every lesson I went into had the basic anxiety symptoms but I was feeling generally okay and there was no trigger but all of a sudden I started feeling incredibly hot in my stomach I started going very weak and shaky as if I hadn't eaten in a, a couple of days um, this was within the space of a few seconds started sweating feeling that my stomach was going to come up and out of my mouth <laughs> so feeling like I was going to throw up and I put my hand up to say I've got to go uh, he didn't really he was talking at the, at the, at the time so you couldn't really interrupt but I, I had to just say he waved my hand down initially as in you know don't ask questions yet 
wait until the end, but I had to say, sorry, I think I'm going to be sick, I've got to go. He nodded and and, and, looked, and I just got up and walked out. Um, <clears throat> nothing happened, as is always the case with anxiety. It's just the feelings, nothing ever comes from it, but needs to say it has enough effect on the body that I was incapacitated for the rest of the day. I later went back and shook his hand and said, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I had to go. He said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. So a lot of people are nowadays a lot more understanding to it. Um, but back then, say back then, <laughs> um, how long ago was it? I'm now 23, so about 10 years ago, it was still a very, very new thing. Even that short period, just a decade ago, it was still very, very much not as common as it is now. And of course, embarrassing to say the least, especially when you're already the one that's kind of the bullied child in the school. That's just giving them ammo against you even further. And of course, that aggravates everything even more so. So that went on from year eight uh, for you American guys out there. That's kind of, I think, ninth grade. It's the second year of, of secondary school, which is mid middle school for you, I think. I don't know. I've never been to America. Um, but I'm sure you get the idea. And that lasted from year eight all the way through until year 11, um, at which point I was put into the special educational needs area in the school, the uh, learning support it was called. And I was put down there with kids who were very... Uh, it doesn't sound very nice to say, but it's what it is, very lower intelligence why because obviously they had learning difficulties and ADHD and all these sorts of different things going on so they were tailored very much for those with lower intelligent capabilities and so my potential grades because I was down there a lot of the time being in lessons would make me feel so bad I had to go out and I had to spend a lot of time here it was kind of a safe haven where I could kind of feel all right because in that situation I was kind of at the higher of the intelligent level there so I was sort of more accepted in there um and of course with people that have had very similar problems as me so that was kind of more of a safe haven you know place where i could also talk with the with the teachers at a very same level as opposed to being kind of teacher student it was more not quite equal there was one person down there it was it was a pain in the ass but <laughs> but generally they were much much more kind of forgiving and as a result, though, because it was tailored for these lesser capable students, I was finding that my grades were going from expected A's, A stars, all the way down to D's and E's, because I wasn't, I didn't have access to the right kind of, of, of materials. My teachers weren't very good. They weren't very good. They weren't good at all at giving me any kind of stuff from the class. I'd have to go and ask for them and bring them back. And this school had two sites. It was a north and south site, so you had to walk halfway across the school to get the books and come back again and just over time I just thought if they're not going to bother why why should I so I just kind of took it easy down there and the grades just went down and down and down and down got into the lessons when I could but at that point it just seemed hopeless because I couldn't spend more than 15 minutes each time um, I had to have a little card which said Darren's got this anxiety disorder if he needs to go you need to let him go regardless of when it is where it is he needs to get out of that classroom. I was always sat by the door and many times I'd have to get up and walk out with an anxiety attack and that was very embarrassing. Um, but it's, it was what it was. So eventually I ended up most of my time down in learning support just because that was the only place I'd feel any kind of health, if you want to call it that. You know what I mean, stability. Until I was in year 
11. Or was it? No, it was it was kind of mid-year 10, which is the first of the two GCSE years. And when that came, the anxiety was slowly depleting, getting worse and worse and worse. Um, as I say, I was no longer able to kind of be in classes at all. And if I was, I would only be in there for maybe five, ten minutes maximum before I had to get out. Um, it was going down and down and down. The staff seemed to be getting worse, didn't care, didn't understand. Even the learning support staff were beginning to get very hostile and it was just not a good environment at all until eventually at the age of 16 I had my emotional breakdown which was a very very bad place to be um, anyone that knows me knows I'm probably the most gentle caring person probably in the village I live in <laughs> due to these experiences but back then it has such an effect on you when you're so desperate and you feel trapped, you go feral in a way. And I was going violent towards my parents, not willingly, very unconsciously, but just so I didn't have to go into school, I'd be having my mum up by her neck. I mean, not up, but I'd be, you know, holding her by her neck, no pressure, just holding. I'd be saying, I'm not going, I'm not effing this, effing that, whatever. <clears throat> um, like a wild animal, really. And one day I just couldn't, again if you've ever had a, a breakdown you don't it, it's not an easy thing it's you lose all sense of of everything and you just act on pure emotion pure feral emotion and I was grabbing tufts of my hair and pulling them out you know they say you pull out your hair by stress well I literally did grab my hair started pulling it out started hitting things for no reason I started really and this was again all in the space of a few minutes and it was just an instant, everything just completely collapsed and I lost all sense of control. And I had to ring up my nan and say, I've got to come and stay with you, I can't do this anymore, I'm going to end up doing something stupid. And I did have an, I had a knife at one point to my neck, thinking, this isn't going to get better, I'm at this point now where I'm completely trapped I can't do another two, three years of this. There's nowhere for me to go. I can't even get out of the house at this point because the anxiety would, would come and I'd have attacks in shops, out in the street, anywhere outside the home, which had become kind of the safe haven now, and I was stuck. So I had this knife to my neck thinking, should I, shouldn't I? Um, but of course, because I was, I say, I was always the kid that worried about things and before Seeking I all started up, I was very scientific and I thought, once you die, that's it, you're gone forever, which terrified me, just the concept of not being, that terrified me, which prevented me from, from taking my life from that fear, um, thankfully. But I was at that stage on Suicide Watch a couple of times, and that, that day was kind of the, the crash. And they had to pull me out of the school, which of course was not good for my grade in the last year of the GCSEs, which for anyone in, in outside the UK is um, general certificate of uh, secondary education, which is just your, your kind of basic school qualifications. So we were kind of stuck. I wasn't in school. I was under a psychotherapist, um, many of whom were absolutely useless. 26 year old kids you know i mean i was what 16 at the time but you could, even then 
you know, I've been going through this now for four years, and even then you can see these kids are just straight out of college or straight out of university, know what they know through a textbook, applying it to everybody, even though the textbook should say, don't generalise, but you could tell everything they were telling me I knew because I'd bloody lived through it. They didn't have to tell me this stuff, and they were just suggesting things that weren't working, weren't working. You could tell they didn't have a clue, unfortunately. So, again, that was another kind of put down. Even the psychologists can't do anything to help me. Um, eventually, we had to get um, home tuition sorted out privately. Some of the teachers from the from the school that I liked uh, would come home to my house and help get me through. We had um, external tutors come in and help. One guy called Ian, very, very nice guy, very professional, knew exactly what he was doing. And the difference was night and day between this kind of education and school. With this sort of education, you enjoyed it. And you could talk to the teacher, to the tutor, on an equal basis. And because of that, the learning environment was so much more efficient that my grades would then, by the end of year 11, um, I was able to sit my GCSEs at the house with a coordinator. And my grades, I came out with A's and B's thanks to this kind of environment so nowadays I'd, I'd, you, you can see when you've been in that sort of environment as opposed to the school when you can see how bullshit school really is it's very prison like and it, it's wrong it doesn't work but anyway um so i came out with a's and b's and the main thing i got from that was that no one has the ability to help you and cure you from anything like this you have to be willing to do it yourself. And being in that situation of life and death for me was the changing point where I thought, this is as low as it's going to go. I can't afford for it to go any lower, otherwise I will end up taking my own life despite my fears. So the only choice I'm now left with is clearly fighting the anxiety doesn't work because that's what these psychologists have been telling me to do and it hasn't been working. I can't give in to it because if I do, as I say, I'm going to end up taking my own life. So the only other way to do it was to understand it and do vigorous research into the subject and just put up with it and see what see what comes of it. So that's what I did. And as a result, you kind of become very self-dependent and you learn how to survive. And eventually I got myself back into school for sixth form where I studied business and IT came out with distinction stars all the way through they were BTECs and I did that myself none of the teachers or anything none of the school psychologists or anything or my psychologists that I was seeing at the time or rather wasn't seeing at the time because I took myself out of that before, a long way before that uh, so I was on my own here pushing myself in with my mum and my dad's support that they could offer and I was just pushing myself back in and I did get myself back in and never again did I need learning support. I was doing it purely conve uh, conventionally. So, thank God school's now done. I'm out of there and I never want to see it again. But from that, from the anxiety and the depression that I went through at that point, mainly through the fear of death, I started wanting to look into this kind of stuff. Mainly because the fear was that great that I didn't want to be frightened of it anymore. And as I say, I was always under the impression that death is the end of everything. Nowadays, I don't believe that. 
but nowadays I don't believe that because only because the depression pushed me into a direction that forced me to really look into it because I had no other choice of survival and that's kind of where Seeking Eye started up not not long ago but Seeking Eye officially didn't start up until a month or so ago but the process of researching this stuff started pretty much as soon as the anxiety started and the amount that you can find through necessity with an open mind is incredible the complexity of everything that you never really thought of everything is so complex and yet so simple and too simple so simple that everyone misses it and suddenly once you've seen the brink of life and death by your own hand you start to see the important things and you start to realize that those things that you thought were important are no longer as important but trivial and you start to see through illusion and anxiety is a very big illusion because it completely destroys the way you think life works because one stray thought from your mind can completely alter the way you perceive life and when you see that your mind is able to create illusions like this then you start to think well in that case why can't it be that everything we experience is an illusion created by the mind and the brain and our perception and if so what's behind that and you know life under depression just a few i mean say simple but very complex but generally a few chemicals released from your brain can completely make the world a good place or a bad place and depending on which chemicals are flowing through your body at any one time completely determines how life is for you and so you see the huge complexity of the illusion of life from the human perspective as opposed to how it actually is everything is just a, a kind of projection of our own state of mind and our own state of body not as it actually is and this is the sort of thing I found out through experience from the age of 12 to now at currently 23 and when you start to kind of dig into this and you start to get the first taste of this you start to wonder how much further all this goes and how much you realize how much we don't know and you also get the sense of humbleness that it's okay to not know and it's a good thing to not know because if we admit that we don't know we can begin to properly innocently and open-mindedly go and search for the answers to what we don't know without bias and without influence from what we think we currently do know so yeah wasn't a fun life for me from 12 currently and um, I'm still living with it now my last bout of suicidal tendencies came in 2017 in October and it was very strong and there will be more to come but I have done enough now and lived through it enough now that I can now begin to put awareness onto it and see through the illusion that it is as it's happening and so you can begin to kind of disassociate yourself you play the role 
that you need to that your body's providing for you but you are aware of it as a role at the moment not a permanent change nor a permanent process but only a temporary experience so my main motivation for seeking eye is to find out what happens after death still a very very important subject to me and a very very high fear for me I know what I believe happens and I know what I desperately want to happen but of course wanting something to happen doesn't make it so I believe that it will I hope that it will and a lot of the evidence I've seen leads me to believe that it will but seeking I I hope will help provide me with evidence and the answer indefinitely and in the meantime I hope it can also provide you with any answers to questions that you have about life ignore the floorboards they're very old <laughs> so I hope you stick with me on this podcast this is episode one and any kind of influence you can have any questions or articles you've read let me know seeking eye uh, uh, seeking eye.mail at gmail.com is where you can reach me or go to seeking eye.co.uk which is the blog you can find us on facebook as well just seeking eye to search that you'll find it. it's a group and let's see if we can get this going properly so that's just a bit about me my background and why i started up in this hopefully now you know me a little bit better and you trust me a little bit more that what i say is not necessarily true but my opinion as it is and that i'm more importantly that i'm willing to adjust my opinion and i hope you're willing to adjust your opinions as well and not be definite in what you believe to be true because we can never know what's true we can only really guess and change as new evidence comes out and that's what i hope to do